couple of verses here up on the screen. You can follow along with me. Proverbs 6, 16 through 17. There are six things which the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and a man who sows discord among brothers. Proverbs 12:22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. 12:19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Proverbs 20, verse 17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. It's quite a picture. Proverbs 21, 6. The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. And then Revelation chapter 21, verses 7 and 8. He who conquers shall have a certain heritage and God will be his God and he shall be his son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, as for murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars... Their lot shall be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Uh, these are some heavy, heavy, heavy passages of Scripture. These are some heavy truths that God's Word declares to us. Lying is no small matter in the eyes of the Lord. And so tonight... We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and see how God's word practically teaches us to be transformed from those who speak falsehood into those who speak the truth. And because this is kind of heavy and weighty, uh, I think it would be fitting for us to pray even as we enter into God's word together. So let's pray briefly. Father, uh, we do want to acknowledge that your word is truth. And what we've been doing so far tonight is we've been declaring truth amongst one another and ultimately to you. It's truth that you've revealed to us because you are the truth and you love the truth and you desire that we delight in truth. And so, Father, I pray that as we step into your word, you would speak truth to us and cause truth to take root in us so that we would be people of the truth. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, grab your Bibles if you haven't already. Open up to Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians chapter 4. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there might be one in the seat there in front of you. Uh, it's in like the 930s, somewhere in there, maybe 933. Uh, so grab a Bible, have it open on your lap. Uh, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 17. This is where we were last week. And we're going to kind of use that as a running start into our one verse that we're going to be covering tonight. Okay? Uh, so starting in verse 17. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds and the weakness of their minds. Verse 18, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, 
assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then verse 25, our verse for this evening, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Uh, Last week, we saw how the Lord brings about transformation in our lives. If you remember the two different transformers that I brought, one of them was like a one-step boom, and it's done, and it's transformed, and it's something cool, and something that's even cooler, and then the other one was like really confusing and all over the place, and by the way, when I brought it home and showed Asher, uh, I asked him last week if I could bring it in to show you guys, and he's like, no, ain't gonna happen. said, well, I'm your dad. I'm taking it anyway. Uh, So I brought it, and then I brought it back to him, and he's like, hey, can you make it into the jet for me? I was like, oh, crud. I don't know if I can make it into the jet. So that was like another 20 minutes of my week. Uh, We got over it. It's all good. Uh, But that's the way that transformation works in our lives, according to the Word of God and the Spirit of God at work in us. It's a slow, over time, uh, little by little, the Spirit of God doing a work in our lives through the Word of God and through the people of God and the circumstances that sovereign God brings into our lives. Uh, What we learned last week from our passage there in 17 through 24 is that uh, before Christ, if you're not in Christ, you have a hard heart. It's a stony heart. It's callous is what the passage says. Uh, It's a heart that doesn't love, desire, or beat for the things of God. And so because of our hardness of hearts, the passage declared to us that we had uh, feudal minds, weak minds, that we were ignorant in our understanding. And so this hardness of heart leads to this ignorance, this weakness of our minds, which results in evil actions, uh, that which is contrary to God. And you say, well, I know a lot of people who aren't in Christ who do a lot of really, really good things. And it's true that on the outside, those things might look good and they might even bring glory to God and serve the purposes of God. And yet if their hearts are not doing it for the glory of God, the motive is off and the Lord is not pleased with that. And so it's these hard hearts with weak minds that have this result of evil actions. But what we said in the glorious truth of the gospel and the reason that the gospel means good news is because when we turn from our sin and we trust in Jesus Christ to rescue us from our sin, he doesn't just save us from the penalty of sin, he also saves us from the power of sin. And where sin once used to be our master, where we had to obey sin and all those evil inclinations in our heart, we no longer have to do that. We have a new master. We are now slaves to righteousness and we can become to grow in the likeness of God in righteousness and in holiness that we can begin to look more and more like Jesus throughout the course of our lives. And this, of course, is what brings glory to God. When you and I begin to look more and more like Jesus, the Father is glorified. Uh, This biblical transformation process, as we see here in verses uh, 22 through 24, it begins by putting off. I say no to the things I used to say yes to. Uh, In that moment of conversion, of repentance, when I turn from my sin, there's like this initial, I've got a new heart now. 
And so now I need to start working out the newness of my heart. I'm now able to say no to things I used to say yes to. And so by God's grace and his spirit working in me, I begin to say no to the things I used to say yes to. This only can happen when God is at work in us and through us. The next step is to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Uh, Once we desire what is right, our thinking has to change. See, there used to be a thinking that was uh, corresponding to our old way of desiring, but now that our desires have changed, our thinking must change also. And so instead of having this thought process that works with my old and evil and stony heart, now with my new heart, I have to have a new thought process that accords with God's wisdom, with God's word, and with God's ways. And so I come to God's word, And I can get into the very mind of God and hear the thoughts of God and see the things that God values and begin to change my thinking based on the truth that God has revealed to me. And so as I come to his word, I learn more and more about the way that God thinks and I begin to think in a way that's true and right and pleasing and honoring and glorifying to the Lord. Then transformation doesn't end in simply saying no to the things I used to say yes to. Transformation, becoming more and more like Jesus, is not simply just turning away from sin, but with as much vigor, with as much energy, with as much passion as I was pursuing sin, I now turn from that and I put that same amount of passion, energy, and vigor towards pursuing after righteousness and holiness and becoming more and more like Jesus. And so it's not just being sanitized from sin, but it's about being sanctified and coming more and more like Jesus Christ. And so this is the transformation process that God begins in each of our hearts when we turn from our sins and we trust in Jesus. Uh, We saw this diagram that's up here on the screen last week, and this is the exact reality that we're talking about. Starts at the root, at the heart, goes up through our thinking, and results in fruit, our outward actions that other people are able to see. Uh, This is how we are transformed into the image of Christ, and it's not quick, and it's not painless, and it's not a one-step process. Instead, it's an ongoing, increasing over time, spirit-filled, word-saturated, Christ-focused walk throughout my whole life that ends or culminates when I fully behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ for all eternity. So this is the process. Everybody got it? We good? You're like, yeah, sure, okay, sounds great. Uh, This is how God actually changes us. This is like the nuts and bolts of what God is doing in our inner man. And it's kind of crazy that God would reveal to us how he like mysteriously does this work within our souls to cause us to actually love and think in a different way. So now, beginning in verse 25 and tonight and for the next four weeks after this, we're going to see different examples of how Paul takes this whole transformation process and he says, now let me give you a practical example of what that looks like. Let me show you how that transformation actually takes place in your life. And so he begins in this practical area, which is putting away falsehood. He says, we put away falsehood and we put on speaking the truth. Look at verse 25 again, please. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members 
one of another. So let's kind of talk about this whole concept of lying and telling the truth and even kind of trace it through this diagram that we have up here on the screen. Uh, when I lie, what's going on in my heart? What am I desiring? And then what am I thinking? Uh, so why do we lie? Uh, I think two main reasons why you and I and other people would consider lying. Uh, to get what we want or to avoid getting what we don't want. Okay, so number one, uh, getting what I want. This is the first reason that you and I and others lie. It's so that we can get what we want. Uh, sometimes we lie to impress others, right? Uh, we exaggerate. We add little untruths along the way. And ultimately what we're desiring is that whoever it is that we're talking to, whoever it is that we're exaggerating to, we're desiring that they would have a different view of us other than what's consistent with the truth, right? Now we don't think that, of course we don't think that when we're exaggerating a little bit, but ultimately that's what's going on in our hearts. We're wanting them to think more highly of us than is actually consistent with the truth. And so we exaggerate, we embellish, we add a little bit more to it, and we make ourselves seem a little bit better, a little bit greater, a little bit more. Sometimes we lie to get revenge. Uh, when someone else hurts us, we might resort to lying and saying things that are untrue of that individual, either about their character or about their actions, so that other people will also think poorly of them. And so we make things up about them so that other people have a different view of them other than that which is consistent with the truth. We lie to get revenge. Uh, sometimes we lie to profit in order to get something that we don't have, right? Uh, we tell people what we think they want to hear in order to get what we do not have. We tell people what we think they want to hear so that they give us the things that we want from them. Uh, these are just a few examples of reasons why we lie in order for us to get what we want. And perhaps as we're sitting here having this discussion, you're thinking in your heart right now about maybe some times where you've lied for those exact reasons. Uh, and the reality is, if we're all being honest, uh, I think we could all say we've lied for those reasons before. So why lie? One, in order to get what I want. Two, uh, to avoid what I don't want. To avoid what I don't want. Uh, sometimes we lie to avoid punishment, right? Uh, we did something wrong, and we know that in confessing that we did it will mean that there is some kind of consequence that we do not want to receive right? And man, it would just be so easy to bring up so many examples of how you and I have done this in our lives. But here's what I want to be really cautious of. Uh, sometimes when we tell stories about these kinds of things, uh, it can come off a bit funny, right? And we can kind of laugh about it and laugh it off. Uh, but with the passages of scripture that we read at the beginning of this time, uh, I don't want any of us to leave thinking that there's anything funny or comedic about lying. Like it's a big big deal before the Lord. And so I want us to be really, really careful. And even as you consider those things that are going on in your heart or in your life, or maybe from today or this last week, and as I bring up these different reasons that we might lie, um, consider that before the Lord. Consider that before the truth of God's word. So sometimes we lie to avoid punishment so that we don't have to bear a consequence 
of something that we deserve, so we hide it. Uh, Sometimes we lie to avoid confrontation, right? Uh, If someone asks us if they hurt us, hey, when I said that thing to you, I I didn't mean to hurt you, did I hurt you? And that's like, no, no, it's no big deal. When really, it actually really did hurt us. But we know that if we tell them the truth, we're like, yeah, that was crushing. Uh, Now we're gonna have to have a whole conversation about it. Things might get awkward. I don't know if I wanna do that. Uh, And so we just say, no, it's all good, man. I didn't even think twice about it. Uh, And so we like to avoid that kind of confrontation. Uh, Sometimes we tell people what they wanna hear to avoid an uncomfortable conversation. They're like, hey, do you like this? And they're like, no, I don't like that at all. Okay, great, now we have to talk about it. We had people over for dinner uh, the other night and uh, we're like, hey, do you guys like fish? They're like, nope. Okay, peanut butter and jelly maybe. Uh, But I was glad they told us the truth, right? And they told us the truth rather than saying, yeah, we love fish and then like power through this awful meal simply because they wanted to avoid confrontation. Uh, All of these are examples of lying and they might seem like minimal or not a big deal. And yet before the Lord, they really are. Sometimes we lie to avoid shame. Uh, I think this one is fairly common. Uh, We're doing something, and this kind of lying might be more like concealing kind of lying, like hiding, where it's like, I know that individual in my life would not approve of me being all about that, and so I'm going to lie to them or try and pull the wool over their eyes so that they don't know that I'm all about that or that I'm doing that in my life, and so that way I don't have to feel the shame of that person thinking, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that. That's not pleasing to the Lord. Uh, The point is, We lie for all kinds of reasons. Uh, And I think that they fit into one of these two categories, either to get what we want or to avoid what we don't want. And so lying starts in our heart, right? It starts with our desires. Uh, Consider the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, You can flip there if you want. It's in Acts chapter five. Uh, If you wanna just listen, that's okay too. Uh, This is a story in the book of Acts talking about this couple towards the early start of the church And it's a story of how their lying uh, brought some serious implications into their life and also brought a serious lesson for God's people at the start of the church. So uh, Acts chapter five, starting in verse one, says this, but a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira, and what's going on, sorry, right before this in four, is it saying that uh, everybody around was selling off property that they had and they were bringing the proceeds and they were giving it in front of the apostles so that it could be used to alleviate the suffering and poverty of other people that were in the church, okay? So in 5.1, a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? Hear that in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose, wrapped him up, and carried him out and buried him. Really a tragic story that gets worse. Uh, Verse seven. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter said to her, 
tell me whether you sold the land for so much. In other words, you said that you sold it for 100. Did you really sell it for 100? And she said, yes, for so much. Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead. They carried her out and buried her beside her husband and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira lied. They wanted to appear more generous than they were. They wanted to appear like they were unified with the others who were doing these great acts of sacrifice and selling their property and bringing all of the proceeds to love and care for their other brothers and sisters. Uh, they also wanted to keep something for themselves. Sapphira also wanted to conceal her husband's plan. And so for all of these different reasons, they contrived in their hearts, they came up, they plotted, they schemed to come up with this plan where they would lie about how much they actually sold their land for. And so because of this, they harmed themselves, they harmed the church, and ultimately, they dishonored the Lord. The point of this story is not to say that if you lie, you will fall dead immediately, uh, though I guess that's not out of bounds. Uh, but uh, what it's saying is lying is a really, really, really big deal. And your lies don't just impact you, they impact others. Speaking the truth is a big, big deal to the Lord. So we have these desires, getting what I want or avoiding what I don't want. And so then what goes on in our thinking? Uh, perhaps we think thoughts like this. Well, if you just understood the situation, you would recognize that I need this. And so I need to do whatever it takes in order to get this. Or maybe it's like, no, 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 I deserve this. And I didn't get it. And so now I have to take matters into my own hands and do whatever's necessary in order to get it. Sometimes we think, man, it would just be easier if I lied, right? Like then I wouldn't have to deal with that conversation then I wouldn't have to deal with that consequence. Sometimes we think no one will ever know the truth. I am the only person who knows that this happened and if I don't say anything about it, nobody's ever going to find out. So I can conceal it and I can get away with it. Maybe we think, look, this lie, it's not gonna hurt anyone. So lying in this situation, it's not a bad thing. Or maybe we think, I'll tell the truth next time. Next time that happens, I'll be sure to be upfront about it. Next time that happens, I'll be sure to talk about it. But this time, I'm giving myself a little bit of grace. I'm giving myself a pass on this one. And so what we do is we justify our desires and our thoughts convince us that we're actually doing what's best, best for ourselves. And oftentimes we convince ourselves that that's what's best for others. And so this desiring and this thinking results in lying, speaking falsehood. So that's the issue that Paul's addressing here in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. This is what's going on in our hearts and in our thinking when we lie. And so remember, he's grabbing a hold of, because here's the deal right now, this is kind of like, whoa, this has been pretty intense, right? Uh, and that's okay, because remember, this is in the good news that we don't have to be this way. 
that where once we were maybe liars by nature because of our old sinful flesh, but now in Christ, we can be people of the truth. And so what Paul is going to tell us, what God's word is going to tell us is, hey, even if you used to be steeped in lying, even if you were like a pathological liar, there's hope for you in Jesus Christ and you can change from a person who speaks falsehood into a person that speaks truth to the praise of God's glory. And so the process begins, just like we saw in verse 20, Uh, Verse 22, by putting off the old self, we put off falsehood. We put away falsehood. Uh, He's demonstrated the importance of truth to us already several times throughout the book of Ephesians. In 4.15, you can see it there in the text. He tells us that the church body grows when members speak the truth to one another in love. And so if the body of Christ is to grow then it will require a people that embrace the truth, that delight in the truth, and that speak the truth to one another. So the process begins by putting away falsehood. And what that means is very, very simple. It means stop lying, (laughs) right? Uh, It's not this big, complicated, overly dramatic kind of thing. It's like, hey, put away falsehood. It means stop saying yes to lying for all of those reasons of convenience or desire and start saying, no, you know what? I'm going to tell the truth, whatever the consequence might be. Stop lying to one another. What are different ways that we lie to one another? We might lie by speaking untruth. This is what we most commonly think of when we think about lying. It's like somebody told me a direct lie. It was not true what they said, and they passed it off as truth. Sometimes we use intentionally ambiguous language. Uh, What that means is we're not clear in what we say. We kind of say a bunch of different words, and we kind of try and hide things and like maybe slide something in there and then pass over it really, really fast. Or we're not specific. We're very, very general in the kind of words that we use because we know that the more specific we are, the more intrusive that will be to what's actually going on in our hearts and with our actions. Sometimes we omit the truth. We might say a lot, and we might tell a lot of truth, but we leave out the most important details. You know, like the kind of details that would be like maybe harmful for ourselves to share. We omit those things, we leave them out so that we don't have to deal with it. And then we pat ourselves on the back for being like, I told most of the truth, right? Paul is saying, put away falsehood. All of these kinds of lying, Speaking untruth, being ambiguous, omitting the truth, put it all away. Lying's a part of your old nature. That's consistent with the old you before Jesus. When you were reflecting Satan, that made sense. That was before Christ. Lying was like a part of who you were. John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says, he's speaking to the Pharisees at this point, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Brothers and sisters, lying is not a no big deal kind of thing. In fact, Jesus died because of a lie. He died because people lied about him and because they falsely accused him. But more foundationally, he died because Adam and Eve believed a lie in Genesis chapter 3 that brought sin into this world, that brought damage and suffering and pain and death. 
And because of that, Jesus Christ had to come and redeem us from obeying, submitting to, believing that lie. John 14, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You have Satan, the father of lies. You have Jesus, who is the truth. In John 17, Jesus says that God's word is truth. In Psalm 51, we learn that God delights in the truth. So when we lie, we are doing what is contrary to who God is. God's word is saying, look, that's, that makes sense with your old self. That makes sense with your flesh. But put that away. In Christ, because the Holy Spirit of God now resides in you, you have the power to put off lying and to start speaking the truth. And so it starts with my desires. I desire to tell the truth. I desire to please the Lord. I desire to rightly reflect my King. And then it goes into my thinking, right? We go from the heart into our thinking. Uh, I'm gonna jump to the last part of this verse because I think the thinking is addressed there and then we'll grab the middle part, but it says this. Uh, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? For we are members one of another. He's giving us the reason, the grounds for why he's saying that we should speak the truth to one another. This is where we need to be renewed in our thinking. There are all kinds of reasons for speaking the truth to one another, but the one reason that Paul is giving us here as an example is he's saying you should tell the truth because we are all members one of another. He's saying this, uh, if my eye sees fire and tells me that it's not hot, but my hand touches it, it will be burned, right? He says, if I'm eating with a fork and my eye lies to me, to my hand about where the mouth is, the hand might even stab the eye. In other words, when you deceive a fellow believer, when you deceive or lie to your brother and sister in Christ, it's like lying to and deceiving yourself. The harm that you bring upon them is a harm that you also experience. When you mislead a follower of Jesus Christ, a brother or sister, you inflict harm on them and on the rest of the body. And ultimately, that's not what brings glory to the Lord. And so what Paul is saying is we have to change our thinking. As members of Christ's body, I no longer think what's best for me. Because oftentimes when I'm lying, I'm thinking what's best for me? How can I get what I want or avoid what I don't want? But now as followers of Jesus Christ, we're thinking what builds up the body? What brings glory to God? And when we stop and we consider that and we think differently, then we recognize that speaking the truth is always what brings most glory to the Lord. And you're like, no, 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 because if I tell the truth, then it's like people will know my sin and then because of that, they won't glorify the Lord. No, if you tell the truth and you say, but you know what? My heart is steeped in sin and I desperately need the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away that sin from my life and I desperately need Jesus Christ to help me to be a person of the truth and I'm sorry that I did that and instead of continuing in sin and adding sin upon sin with my lie, instead I'm gonna bring the truth before you and I'm gonna repent of that. That's what brings glory to the Lord. We don't think about self-preservation anymore. We think about building up the body and about glorification of the Lord. How can I serve my brother or sister by telling them the truth? 
And not just when we do something that's sinful and have to confess it, but also when we see them walking in sin or doing something that's unwise and we have to address them. And they're like, hey, did you hear any, you know, in that whole conversation, was I off in that or did I speak in a way that was unkind? We're like, no, nah, man, I thought you were fine. No, 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 that wasn't okay. Like the way that you did that, the way that you said that, I don't think that you had love towards that individual. I think you need to go and ask for their forgiveness. That's not an easy conversation to have, is it? It's not comfortable to lovingly confront our brothers and sisters in Christ, but hear me, that's what builds up the church. If we're not speaking the truth to one another, if we're not being honest with one another about sin or failure in our lives, then we're not helping each other grow. We're not helping each other look more and more like Jesus. We're just speaking peace where there is no peace. We're just soothsaying one another. We're just like, hey, anything that I need to do in order to not have conflict between you and I, let's just do that, right? That's not what the body of Christ is about. It's about speaking the truth in love to one another so that the whole body would grow, so that the whole body would mature, so that the whole body would look more like Jesus, so that Jesus is glorified. So my heart changes I desire to be a person of the truth because I've embraced the truth, because I love the truth. And so I start thinking about what is true and knowing that the truth is something that loves my brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the result is I put on speaking truth. After I put away falsehood and I start thinking rightly about my brothers and sisters in Christ, I start thinking rightly about my God who delights in truth. I put on speaking the truth. This means that as fellow believers, we're real with one another. This means that if we're battling against some kind of sin, we don't conceal it anymore. Hear me, brothers and sisters. We don't put it in the darkness where it continues to grow and it's cultivated in the soil of darkness. We bring it out into the light so that that which becomes visible might actually be dealt with. In the context of a community where we are loved by the Lord, where we are loved by one another, and where we have the truth of God's word to instruct us and to guide us into what is right. And so we don't battle against things secretly on our own. We expose them. And we also are willing to confront our brothers and sisters when we see them walking in a way that's not pleasing to the Lord. If you've been living in a lie and you're sitting here tonight like, oh my goodness. Um, I would just challenge you, maybe tonight's the night where you bring that sucker out into the light and you have that conversation with your brothers or your sisters in your small group that you know love you and love the Lord and want what's best for you and tonight might be an opportunity for you to bring that before them, bring that before the Lord. Lies stifle unity. If we are living in a lie, if we're lying to one another, or if we're not willing to speak the truth into one another's lives, then being members one of another isn't going to work. The body's not going to build itself up. We're not going to be unified. Hiding and concealing the truth inhibits community. But truth strengthens unity. And truth helps us move towards maturity. So brothers and sisters, we should speak the truth to one another, to the praise of God's glory. Growing up in Christ is what we were made for. And as the church builds itself up in love, as we members of one another speak the truth to one another, 
we mature together, and God is glorified. Speaking the truth is a necessary component of walking in a manner that's worthy of our calling. Jesus Christ is the truth. We who are in Jesus Christ must be people who love the truth, people who embrace the truth, and people who proclaim the truth. This is what brings glory to God. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. We say your word is truth, and we want to delight in truth in our inmost being. But Father, the reality is uh, we are still battling against sin. And we work very, very hard to avoid shame. We work very, very hard to get the things that we want, and oftentimes that includes us omitting the truth, telling a lie, grazing over the truth. God, we want to be people of the truth. We want to be people who speak the truth in love to one another. Not truth up in your face, but truth in a loving and gentle kind of way. Father, we want to be people who speak the truth not in a callous kind of way where it's like, yeah, I did it, so what? God, we want to be people who are contrite in heart, who speak the truth even in brokenness. But God, we don't have the courage to do that on our own. We don't have the courage to bring that which has been hidden into the light. We don't, God. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would give us that courage, that you would give us that boldness, that you would give us that confidence and that trust. That speaking the truth is what brings glory to you and what is right and pleasing and ultimately good. No matter what the immediate consequences might be, speaking the truth. Help us, Father. And would it all be for your glory, God, not just so that we would be better people, not just so that we would stop doing bad things and start doing good things, but God, so that you would receive the glory that you are so very worthy of. So God, make us a people of the truth in Christ's name. Amen.